We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And in this powerful book, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He sees he's the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. As we're continuing, we are seeing his ministry, or Jesus' ministry, in northern Israel. What is he doing? Well, he's showing his authority. He's showing that he's the Messiah and the Savior. Well, how's he doing that? Well, he's doing this by showing his authority over nature and disease and demons and death, even his authority to forgive sins. This morning, we're going to see a change. Jesus now sends out the twelve. And when it says the twelve, talking about the twelve apostles, he sends them out as his representatives. They go out with his authority. And they go with authority over disease and demons. They're his representatives. Now, as we look at this passage, we're going to see a miracle. And this is the only one recorded in all four Gospels. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. But as we look at it, we're going to raise some questions. What happened? How many did he really feed? How did he do this? And what were the disciples supposed to learn? So there's some great things there. As we look at God's Word, we understand that Jesus is the provider. He is the one who provides even beyond what we could imagine. And so may we learn from God's Word this morning as we see our Savior, as we see our provider, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, what about tomorrow? What does it hold? We don't know. Oftentimes we think about things like money and all that kind of thing. We say, we're going to have enough money. Will we have enough time? Will we have all that we need? Can we make it through school? Will we have enough for our family? Will we have a job? What about retirement? Will God supply what we need? Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The key is that God will provide, and he will provide every need that we have. Now, not necessarily our wants, but he will provide our needs. We must realize that we have promises from God that he will do this. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see a very famous event. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and that's what he sees. The key, he provides what they need. And as we look at that, we want to think about this. We see that God provides, and, he can, and here's some things to think about. He can and will use anyone or anything. He always provides what we need. He always provides more than we need. And we're going to see these truths as we look at our study this morning, as we see this passage. Well, let's begin. Remember where we are. We're seeing the ministry of Jesus. He's showing his authority. How does he do it? By his words and his work. Now, think about that. He does it by his words. That's the, the message of salvation and about the kingdom. And then his works. That's where he's doing the, uh, the miracles, the healing, the raising the dead, the forgiving sins. Now, as we look at this morning, there's three things that sort of stand out. First of all, we're going to see that he sends out the twelve to minister. And we're going to see their words and works. Then we're going to see response by Herod. He's the man who killed John the Baptist. We'll see how his response. And then third, we're going to see the feeding of the 5,000. And, and the point there, Jesus, of course, is the provider. And so there's some great things there as we look at it, as we, as we think about that. Now, let's remember where we are. In chapter 8, there were four miracles. And the last time we met, we saw the last two of those four miracles. We saw this woman who had this issue of blood. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She came up and touched Jesus uh, just to touch the, the hem of his garment and she was immediately healed and Jesus stopped and she told that to everybody then the little girl that he was going to heal she died and so by the time they got there she was of course already dead and Jesus said just believe and he speaks to her and he raises her from the dead that's what we saw last time now we're going to see something a little bit different because Jesus is actually going to send out 12 the 12 guys, the 12 apostles will talk about who they are and what they did and so here's some questions that we, we have what were they to do? What is the response when they do it? 
What happens when they return, and how does Jesus show that he is the provider? There's some great things. Let's break down the passage. Uh, first of all, in, in, the verse seven, in these 17 verses, verses 1 through 6, we're going to see the ministry of the 12. Then in 7, 8, and 9, Herod's response. We'll talk about who this Herod is. And then finally, the feeding of the 5,000. And, of course, it's always listed as the feeding of the 5,000, but we'll find that there are more than 5,000 people there. We'll see how it fits. Let's begin by seeing Jesus sending out the 12. And so far, now think about it, so far they've just been with him. He's been doing things, they've followed him around, they've watched him, they've believed in him as Messiah and Savior, but he's done the miracles, he's done the ministry, and what he's going to do now is he's going to send them out to do ministry. He's going to send them out with his authority. They're going to be his representatives. In fact, they're going to do the same things he's been doing. Well, how can that be possible? Because he gives them the power and the authority. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 9. Let's start at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Now, he calls the twelve together. Now, when we think about the twelve, these are the twelve men that were chosen by Jesus' apostles. You think about them, they're like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and Bartholomew and, and you know, those, those guys that we listed. Well, remember, there's a little difference here because to be an apostle was unique. There were those who didn't believe in Jesus at all. Then there were those who believed in Jesus. We just say they're the believers. Then there were those who actually followed Jesus. Those are the disciples. Then there are those that he chose. He chose 12 men to be apostles. And the word apostle, the Greek word apostolos, means one sent forth with authority. There is a difference between being a disciple and being an apostle. A disciple, mathetes, the Greek word means a learner. But to be a dis- an apostle meant one sent forth with authority. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to send these guys out. Notice what it says. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So he's calling these guys together and the the twelve men that he's chosen earlier, we saw it back, if you go back a few chapters, went on top of the mountain and he prayed and and this is in Luke chapter 6 and he picked twelve guys. He picked Simon and and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphys and Simon is called the zealot, Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. That was the 12 that he chose. He's taken these 12 men and he's going to send them out. He called them together, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Now, I want you to notice that he gives them power and authority. I think there are two keys here to power and authority. Now, the word power means the ability to do something. The word authority means the right to do something. The Greek word for power there is dunamis. We get dynamite from it. It means ability. This other word authority means the right to do something. Now, I want you to think about it. You might have the authority to do something, but you may not have the power to do it. Or you might have the power to do something, but you might not have the authority to do it. When he sent them out, he gives them both the power and the authority to do it. They represent him, they have his authority, and they have his power. Now, there's a great truth that Jesus never asks us to do anything, sends us out to do anything without giving us the power and the authority to do it. We realize we have the power. As we go out, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and we have the authority of the Word of God. So it's always that way. Now, look again. He gives them power and authority, notice, over all the demons and to heal diseases. So he's going to send these guys out, and they're going to be able to command the demons, and they're going to be able to heal people. That's what he's been doing. So they're going out representing him. Now, notice this, and this is a key. Look at verse 2. And he sent them out to, two things, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. 
Now, that's the same thing Jesus has been doing. We said that Jesus is going out with his words and his works. His words is who he is as the Messiah and the King and the Savior, and his works is the healing and the forgiveness of sin and all those things. He sends them out to do the same thing. Notice, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the message, the message that the Messiah is here and that the King is here, and to perform healing. That's words and works, and he has, has them to do the same thing. Now, let me give you uh, some other details. In Matthew chapter 10, we get a little bit more details. Luke doesn't tell us this, but Matthew tells us that he sent them out, and he said, I want you to go only to the house, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're going to the Jewish people. They're not going to the Gentiles. He's sending these 12 men out to go to Jewish people, and, and, and they're going to present that Jesus is their king and Messiah. We'll see that in most of the Gospels, the very first part or most of the Gospels, the, 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 the uh, disciples and apostles are going to the Jewish people. Later on, they begin to go to the Gentiles. And then in the Great Commission, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says, go to all nations. But at this time, he's sending them just to the Jewish people. That's Matthew 10. One of the other Gospels also tells us that he sends them out in pairs. There's 12 of them, so they go out six groups. And I want you to think about the 12 that he sent out. Because remember a while ago I said, there's Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and uh, Matthew and Bartholomew and uh, Judas Thaddeus. And, and those. we're going to see. Remember, one of them is Judas Iscariot. He sends all 12 out. He gave them power and authority over the demons to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to perform healing. That's their ministry. You realize that they are representatives of Jesus Christ, so are we. We're ambassadors for Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were beseeching through us. We have words and works. We have the words, which is the message of salvation, the truths of the word of God. We have works, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and love our neighbors as ourselves and love others as he has loved us. All that ties together. So we have words and works as well. We do the same sort of thing. Now, it says he got the twelve gave them authority, and sent them out. Uh, I, I think it's very powerful because we see they're going in his power and his authority to deal with the demons and the disease and to give the message. He gives them some specific instructions. Look what he says. Verse 3, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag nor bread nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Now what he's saying is when you go, I want you to go out and you're going to have to trust me. I don't want you taking a bunch of stuff. I don't want you to have a backpack. I don't want you to have a backpack with a bunch of stuff. When you leave, I just want you to go. I want you to have to realize that I am the provider and that I will take care of you. So you don't take anything when you go. I don't want you to take a bag. I don't want you to take a staff. I don't want you to take bread. I don't want you to take money. In fact, I don't want you to take two sets of clothing. I just want you to go. What's going to happen is they're going to go and they're going to go and they're going to go into some houses as they go into these different cities and, and some people will receive them and they'll believe in the Messiah and Jesus and they'll live there and stay there. Some won't receive them. He says, you're going to have to trust me. You'll have to trust that I'll provide for you and these people will provide for you. So uh, I want you to take neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money and not even two tunics. You're going to have to trust me when you go. That's pretty powerful. And then he gives them some instructions here in verse 4. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. He said, when you go into a house and they receive you and they accept you and they say, I believe in Jesus. You're right. You've got the message. We believe he's the Messiah and the King. Then you stay there. Let that sort of be your headquarters in that town as you go around to different people. Stay there. But what if, what if somebody doesn't believe? What if you come up there and you start telling them about Jesus and, and the people say, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. What do you do? He says, and it's for those, verse 5, those who do not receive you. 
as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He says, if they don't believe, when you walk out, you go, you shake the dust off like saying, look, we don't want any part of you connect with us because there's judgment coming. There was a symbol of shaking dust off, which was the idea of rejection. And they're saying, if you're, not, if you're rejecting Jesus Christ, there's going to be judgment. Well, he's got them ready, and he told them to go. What happened? Verse 6. Departing, they begin going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, they begin going through the villages. Notice their words and their works. They were, they were preaching the gospel, the good news. Now, they were giving, I think, the gospel. Now, the word gospel can mean a number of things. It literally, euangelion is the Greek word. It, it simply means a good news message. It could mean we, good news, we won the war. Good news, we won the lottery. Good news, we did this. You know, that's what the word can mean. In this context of the good news of the gospel, I think he's talking about the salvation message tied in with the fact that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because for the Jewish people, he, he's presented as their Messiah and king and savior. And so they were out with the good news message. We get to go out with the good news message. We tell people how Jesus died and rose again, and he gives us eternal life simply as a gift. And so it says they went out uh, going through the villages, preaching the gospel, the good news message, and look at their works, healing everywhere. So uh, you think about it. Every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ, we go out and we preach the gospel. We give the good news message. And it's very simply put, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the Scripture. The good news message is the death and resurrection of Christ. Died on the cross, paying for our sins, and rose again. And whoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Now, there's something that I want you to think about that maybe you've not thought about. He sent out these 12 men. And you realize that one of those twelve is not a believer. That's Judas. The Bible describes him as the son of perdition, which means the son of hell. Jesus even says later on that, that, that none of, he lost none of them except the one who was never to be saved. Judas, the best that we can tell, was not a believer ever. He sent him out. Does it say that they went out and eleven of them did good and one of them did bad? Does it say 11 of them had the power and authority and one of them didn't? No. Do you realize that Judas, who was not a believer in Jesus, went out in Jesus' power and authority and healed people and dealt with the demons and gave the message? Now, something I want you to realize, a truth. God can use anyone or anything to fulfill his purposes. He can use believers or unbelievers. He can do anything he wants to do and use anyone he wants to use, even unbelievers. I want you to think about a couple of things. How about this guy right here, Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia. He was head over the Medo-Persian Empire, came to power. And after he came to power, when he came to power, the Jewish people had been captive under the Babylonians. And now the Medo-Persians take over. Cyrus becomes the king. And you know what he does? He says, for some reason... I think the Jewish people ought to be able to go back to their own land and no longer be our slaves. The Bible actually says that God raised Cyrus up and put in his heart to let the Jewish people come back from captivity. Cyrus wasn't a believer, but God used him. How about this one? Pharaoh. The Bible says that God raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate the glory and power of God. And then how about this one? 
Judas. God sends him out. So I want you to remember this. That God can and will use anyone or anything to carry out his ministry and his plans. We're going to see more about this a little bit later. Remember, our goal as a believer is that we, our lives would be used for Jesus Christ. We just tell him, Lord, I want my life to count for you. Just just use me for your glory. Well, they go out and they go going through all these places and the word begins to spread. And look what happens. Verse 7. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening and he was greatly perplexed because it was being said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Now, this man by the name of Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, he's a king. That's what the word Tetrarch means, a king of a fourth. He heard what was happening and he was perplexed. Now, let's talk about who this guy was. Do you remember when Jesus was born, there was a man named Herod the Great who was very angry when Jesus was born and when he found out from the wise men how old the baby was, he killed all those boy babies two years old and under. That man was called Herod the Great. He died, and when he died, he had four sons. And after he died, his land, the land that he controlled as a king, he called himself king of the Jews. He wasn't really, but he called himself that. His land was divided into four parts. One of his sons by the name of Archelaus got two of the four parts. Another one of the sons named Philip got one of the fourth parts. And another son by the name of Herod Antipas got another fourth. This is the king here. That's why Tetrarch means a fourth. He was Herod the Tetrarch. He ruled a fourth of the land that his daddy used to have. He thought he was a great king. He was a very weak king. He was a very evil man. Jesus referred to him. Somebody said something to him about Herod one day and he said tell that fox that I'm going to do what I'm going to do so Herod was a wicked man and a very evil man. Uh, he was not very powerful. He thought he was. He wanted to see. He wanted to see Jesus. In fact, we're going to find that, and he'll mention it here. That uh, toward the end, when Jesus was arrested, they brought Jesus to Herod, and he was very excited. He said, "Hot dog! I've been waiting to see this man. I'm hoping he'll do a couple of miracles." And he brought Jesus in and said, "Well, I'd like for you to do a couple of miracles." And guess what? Jesus would not even speak to him. Never said a word to him. He got man sent Jesus back to, to uh, Pontius Pilate. Notice what this passage says. Herod the Tetrarch, when Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was happening, he was perplexed. And, and, and the word perplexed means to, to, have a, to, to doubt something twice. It's that idea of going, uh, I, what, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. I don't, hey, he's all messed up because he doesn't know what to think. Because some people are saying, notice, it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. Now, if you remember, this man... Uh, Herod Antipas is the one that killed John the Baptist. And John had, uh, when, when Herod Antipas, he decided one day that he would divorce his wife. And he had a brother named Philip, and he decided he would marry Philip's wife. So Philip's wife divorced Philip. He divorced his wife, and then he married Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. Well, when John the Baptist heard about all that, John the Baptist said, You should not do that. And Harry got real mad and put him in prison. And then one day when one the daughter Salome danced, they cut John the Baptist's head off. So this is the man that killed John the Baptist. Some people are saying that all this is happening is John has been risen from the dead. And then other people say it's Elijah because he's the great prophet of old and he's supposed to come before the Messiah and maybe that all this is happening because Elijah has come. And then others say that one of the prophets of old has risen again. That's what they're saying. But Herod said, look at verse 9. What did Herod say? I myself had John beheaded. I killed John, so I don't think it's John. But who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. 
Now, Herod wanted to see Jesus, not because he believed in Jesus, not, not because he, he was out of curiosity. He said, maybe he'll do a miracle for me. But when he did meet Jesus that one time, Jesus would never even talk to him. Now, from this, they sent them out. They're going to come back, and we're going to see this very famous event of uh, found in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, as we think about this, I think three things are going to stand out. Once again, we'll see Jesus can and will use anyone or anything that Jesus provides for every need, Philippians 4.19, and that Jesus provides for even more than we need. He goes beyond what we could ask or imagine, and we're going to see that as we go through this. Now, let's see what happened. The guys went out. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. And then when they came back, they came back saying, you're not going to believe what happened. We, we, we would say something and this person would get well and we'd touch him and they'd get well and these demons were there and we just cast these demons out and, and, and everything went great. They came back and they said, even the demons obey us. And Jesus said, well, that's great, but just be thankful. Blessed is that your name is written in heaven. That's more important than anything I have you do here. Mark chapter 6 tells us that when they got back, Jesus said, what we need to do is get a break. You guys need a break. You've been out. You've been serving. Let's take off for a while. Let's go. And one of the Bible says, let's come apart. Let's get away from people and let's get off by ourselves. And so they leave and they go to a place, a little city called Bethsaida. And that was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and Philip. And so they're going to get off by themselves. That's the plan. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, all of us have, you've done things and you've done things and done things and you say, you know, I need a little break. They got back and Jesus said, I think you men need a break. So we're going to Bethsaida. We're going to go out sort of in the country outside of Bethsaida and we're going to rest. Look what happened. Verse 11. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now, the crowds were aware of this. When they found out Jesus was there, they came right out there. Now, the crowds are always following Jesus. Now, just remember, they're not following him necessarily because they believe that he's the Messiah or the Savior. They know that if you hang around long enough, he'll eventually feed you. It, it, he'll heal you. You can bring people there. In fact, he's come to cities and in, bunches of people were healed. So when they hear that he's there, they come out there. Now, the men are out in sort of a desolate place, and they look up, and there are thousands of people coming. Not a couple of hundred people. Thousands are coming. And you can see the guys going, oh, my gracious, we're tired. I, I thought we were going to get a break. And you could see Jesus saying, boy, I was just hoping for a little break. Will these people not leave me alone? Is that the attitude you ever see by Jesus? No. In fact, look what it says. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. See, he loved them. One of the other gospels says he looked at them and he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And you can see him saying, come on, everybody, come on out, come on up a little closer. Everybody, come on in. Come on, come on over here. They're out in the wilderness, and they're getting all these people here. Let me tell you, it says that there were 5,000 men. There were a lot of women there with those men and a lot of children. There may have been twenty to 30,000 people there. So when it says there were 5,000 men, one of the other Gospels just says there were... There were 5,000 men not counting the women and children. Let's just make a low estimate and say there were between 15 and 20,000 people that are coming to hear him. Look what he does. 
the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them, he began doing what? Speaking to them about the kingdom of God, that's his words, teaching, and curing those who had need of healing, that's his works. Over and over again we see the same thing. He gives his message and he does the healing. And that's his plan and that's what he is to do. Now watch what happens. Now the day was ending and the twelve came to him and said to him, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for we are here in a desolate place. Now you can see it's toward the end of the day. Jesus has been teaching and doing all this. And, and you can see some of the, the apostles and disciples come up going, uh, I don't know if you realize how time it is, but you know it's getting late toward the day. And maybe Jesus, we ought to you know, kind of shut this thing down and you send those people off. It's as if they're thinking Jesus got carried up in the moment. And he's forgotten what time it is. And they're out in the desert, kind of a wilderness area, a desolate area. And they need to send the people into the surrounding villages, get them something to eat. So they come up to Jesus and said, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging got to have a place to spend the night and get something to eat for here we are in a desolate place well this would probably be the normal thing to do but jesus answer to them is really a surprise and look what he says verse 13 but he said to them you give them something to eat the original language the you is emphasized he looked at them and said you you give them something to eat now you can imagine those guys going us. And there's like 20,000 people, and you want us to give them something to eat? Look what it goes on to say. He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. And if you put the Gospels together, what you find out is, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They begin to kind of look around, and they thought, well, if we had almost a year's salary if we had a year's worth of money, we couldn't even go into the town and buy enough food for all these people. If we had a year's worth of money. And then while they were there, Philip comes up and says, I found this little boy, and he's got five loaves and two fish. And so this passage says that all they had was no more than five loaves and two fish. And then it said, unless we go and buy food for the people. The next verse says, there are about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Now, when you see five loaves and two fish... We know what's going to happen. He's going to use the five loaves and two fish to feed the people. But first of all, don't think five loaves of bread, okay? These loaves were little bitty pieces like a biscuit. And not even as thick as a biscuit. They were little bitty pieces of bread. And then when it says two fish, don't think of the good catch fish. We're thinking of something like a little sardine, a little bitty fish. This little boy had five little pieces of bread and two little pieces of fish. And Philip comes up in one of the other Gospels. He says, we have five loaves and two fish, but what is this? For so many people. I mean, this this is not very much. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think it's possible for these five little biscuits and these two little fish to feed 20,000 people? We would say, it's, it's, not really, it's not possible, not humanly possible, but what things are impossible with men are possible with God. And watch what he's going to do, because this is what's so incredible. He said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for the people. There were about 5,000 men. 5,000 men. They're thinking this is impossible. Let me show you some great truths. Here's the first one that we already know. God can and will use anyone or anything. He can take five loaves and two fish. He can take the little boy. He can take any, whatever he wants to use and however how he wants to use it. He can do it. He can use anyone or anything. And that means he can take you and use you for his glory. You say something like this. I'm nothing. That's okay. It's not the instrument. 
But it is the one who uses the instrument. It's not your life. It's God who uses your life where it all happens. And it's God who uses us. And if you say, but I'm nothing, he says, that's fine. I can use you when you're nothing. If you think you're something, I can't use you. I can use you when you think you're nothing. And that's what he's going to do. And he can take anyone or anything. He can take any one of us in this room. If you are willing, if you say to God, God, my life, I just give it to you. I want to, I'll go wherever you want to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just give you my life and I'm willing to be used. He will use you for his glory. He will always do that. And so it doesn't matter. He'll use anyone, anywhere. Now, watch this. Uh, it says, he said there were about 5,000 men, and he gave, them, he gave to his disciples, and he, said, he, uh, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50. And they did so, and he had them sit down. Now, here's the second thing, and that is God will provide what we need. He does. The Scripture tells us, my God shall supply all your needs. Now, there's, there's 15 to 20,000 people there, and he says, okay, everybody get in groups of 50. Start kind of putting together in groups of about 50. And they're putting all these people are getting in groups of 50. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, you've got to have some organization if you're going to feed 20,000 people with 12 waiters, right? I mean, you've got to. It's got to have this thing a little bit organized so they're going to know what to do, what, what group they went to, what group they haven't gone to yet, all that kind of thing. Now, look at verse 16. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven... He blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, he took these, these, these little biscuits, five little biscuits, two little bitty fish, looking up to heaven. So he wants these people to see that he's come as a representative of the Father. He's come to do the will of the Father. He's praying to the Father. He's giving blessing to the Father. And then notice what it says. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He blessed the five loaves and two fish. He broke them and he kept Giving The way it's written in the Greek, it's, it's ongoing giving them to the disciples to set before the people. You can just see that they've got things, and, and he's giving them, and says, okay, go. And they go, and they go to the thing, and they give it to the people, and they come back, and then they get another load, and, and this is going on and on and on. We found in, the, uh, in some writings what would, might be a prayer that a man would pray before they would eat. And this is, this is what he, he might, Jesus might have said this. Blessed be thou, Lord, O God, our King of the earth, King of the world, who provides bread from the earth. It says he kept on giving and they kept taking it to him. And they would go and they would come back and they would go and they would come back. You could almost see the guys going, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. Now watch. Here's the third thing, and this is the key. God will give more than we need. He always gives more than we need. You ever thought about that? Do you think there's just enough oxygen? I mean, if one of us breathes in too much and others are going, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I've lost some oxygen, somebody's breathed too much oxygen. We got just enough oxygen. That's not true. What about, aren't there flowers on tops of mountains that nobody will ever see? Aren't there fish and things in the sea that nobody will ever find? He does always more than ever is needed. He's a God of abundance and grace. Look what he does. And they all ate, verse 17. This is my favorite verse on this thing. They all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Now, here's some things to think about. First of all, they all ate and were satisfied. Let's say it's 20,000 people. They all ate, and when it says they were satisfied, it doesn't mean they said, you know, that was good. I'm still a little hungry, but that was good. It means they were full. They ate as much as they wanted. Now, I want you to understand that probably... Most of the people there had never in their lives 
eating as much as they wanted. There were many families in that time that they just had just enough food to get by that night. And now they're going, you mean I can have some more? I can have more. I'm full. I, I don't think I've ever been full. I can't remember ever feeling this way. They were satisfied. Now, every time we eat, we go, mm, oh, I'm full. But what if there was just a little bit every time? And when you got through eating, you were never full. This day, these people were full. And notice it says they 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 which they they went and got the broken pieces that were left over and they picked them up and there were twelve baskets. Now the word for basket means the big basket, a big round basket. You remember like you see that donkey and they got baskets on the side of the donkey. That's the baskets we're talking about. They had twelve of those big baskets full of leftovers. See, he always provides more than we need. He does exceedingly abundantly beyond you could ask or imagine. He can use anyone or anything. He provides our needs. He provides beyond what we need. He shows these people and He shows His disciples that He indeed is the Messiah, that He is the provider, that He'll always be able to give beyond what you could ask or imagine. Now, think about your life. What do you want God to do in your life? Let me tell you, you can come to Him and say, Lord, do this, would you do this? I want. Listen, He's going to do beyond what you could even imagine or ask. He's a God of abundance. He's a God who provides. Look back at your life. He's always taken care of us. He's given us more than we've ever deserved. He's given us more than we need. He's given us more than we've ever imagined. And He always will. So what have we seen? Well, he sends out the twelve with power and authority, and Herod hears about it. He wants to see Jesus. The men come back. They're going to go for a rest, but this big crowd comes. And so with five loaves and two fish, he he feeds these fifteen to 20,000 people, and he goes beyond. They're all full. They've got more than they've ever had in their lives. And this shows that Jesus is the provider. He's the Messiah, the Savior. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's be faithful representatives of Jesus Christ. Think about it. We're sent out by him just like he sent out the 12. We're sent out, and we want to fulfill the ministry. And think about this. A, he empowers us to serve him in the same way he sent them out with power and authority. He gives us power and authority. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. So he sends us out. B, we go with our words and our works. What's our words? It's the gospel. It's the good news message. It's the message of salvation. It's the truths of the Bible. What's our works? It's touching lives for Jesus Christ, loving people as we love our Savior. Uh, that's what we do. Now listen to this. John Wesley wrote this. He said this. Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. That's what we got to do. We're his representatives. We go with the words of salvation and the works of love. And here's C. Some will respond and some will reject. Now, that's a sad thing, but it's true. And as we go out, there are going to be people who believe. They're going, you'll tell them about Jesus and you'll tell them how he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. If they will trust in him, they'll have eternal life. And they'll trust him. They'll believe in him and they'll have eternal life. And then there'll be some that you'll tell and they'll look at you and they'll, I don't believe that. I don't, that's too easy. I don't think that's right. And, and you'll be amazed. When Paul, at the end of his three missionary journeys, entered, in, entered uh, into Rome and was put into prison there, this large crowd came to hear him teach, and he got up and he spoke, and he spoke for a long time, and it said at the end that some believed and some didn't. And that's the way it is. It will be that way. 
So let's be faithful representatives. He empowers us, go with our words and works, and some will respond and some will reject. There's a second application, and that's trust Jesus Christ to provide for all of our needs. He's the provider. He's the protector. He's the one that's the promise. Listen to this. A, he can and will use anyone or anything to meet our needs. If he can take five biscuits and two little bitty fish and feed 20,000 people. Let me tell you, he didn't even need the five loaves and two fish. He just said, okay, there's a bunch of food everywhere. Everybody look down. You got food. They go, we got food. He could have done it that way. He could do anything he wants to do. He can use anyone or anything, from Cyrus to Paul to a little boy, all of that. B, he always provides for our needs, always does. And as we go through life, he will provide for our needs. And then last but not least, he always provides more than we need. He does abundantly beyond what we could ask or imagine. He can do it. Allow God to work in your life. Give him your life. Say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I'm going to trust you that wherever I go, whatever I do, you're going to take care of me. You're going to provide. You're going to provide even more than I could even ask or imagine. So may we give our lives in service for our Savior, knowing that he will provide for us beyond what we could ever even imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for this passage. And Lord, we realize that, that we need to be your representatives. You sent us out as ambassadors. You've given us the power and authority to go. Power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Word of God. We go with the great message of salvation. We go as we love others and, and, and uh, reach out and uh, to, to showing them what you're like. And, and Lord, we know that some people will believe and some people won't. Lord, we just pray that many will believe. Lord, thank you that we can trust you to provide, that you can use anybody or anything to take care of us. You always meet our needs and lord you always go beyond what we could even imagine thank you lord for being our great god our savior and our provider may we represent you may we go out in your power and may we trust you as we go we ask this in jesus name amen